Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Once you greet somebody around you, you can find a seat. Can we just thank the worship team? I loved the way they just led worship this morning. Just wonderful. Thank you so much, worship team. Excellent job. Great job, sound team as well. Let me be the first to welcome you to Southridge Church this Sunday. Today is our church's ninth anniversary. Can you believe it? Nine years. That's incredible. God has been so, so good to our church for us to be here. Well, my name is Makai Armand pastor here at Southridge, and if this is your first or second time here, we want to welcome you, and if you would, there's a connect card near your seat or on your seat. We'd love for you to take that out, fill it out, and at the end of the service, when we worship the Lord through our tithes and offering, you can drop that card in that offering basket, or you can take it to the hotel lobby where one of our leaders has a special gift that we'd like to give to you for being in attendance with our service, or you can scan the QR code where you can download our app, and through our app, you can stay connected with us. This past week, we We launch life groups. On Sunday, we have a group that meets called Joyful Overcomers. Amazing group. Love to have you be a part. Also, on Mondays, we've got Celebrate Recovery for the men and the women. That happens on Mondays. You can attend that group. And then on Wednesdays, we've got groups. We've just got all kinds of groups. If you're new to the church, you've got growth tracks. So much is happening. We've got youth group. Lots of stuff is going on here at Southridge. So you're at a great place. We're excited that you're here. And you can fill out that Connect card, or you can scan the QR code. Maybe you need prayer. Through that QR code, you can text in prayer. You can also uh, find out different activities that are coming up. It's a great way to stay connected with our church. Well, if you would, would you take your Bible to the book of John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. Grateful that you are here. We had an amazing first service, and I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do in this service. And we're in a series that we are concluding today entitled Spiritual Resolutions. We kicked off week number one talking about the fact that it's not the amount of resolutions we make, but the amount of time we put into the resolutions that makes the difference. And so the week number one was all about faithfulness. If we would just be faithful to our resolutions, we would see dramatic change. And then week number two, we talked about vision, the most powerful picture. What is that picture, that view? We said said it like this. Do you have a clear view of your future? Do you have a clear view of your vision? We said vision is something that is out of reach but not out of sight. And we talked about the mission of the church. It's leading people to find and follow Jesus. But that's not our vision. Our vision is to reach the world. That is the vision of our church. And then after that, we talked about spiritual momentum. Talked about it's uh, doing the right things with the right heart that'll help you get the right results. And then last week, we heard a great message by Angel, and uh, Angel just brought a great word about time with God. Do we have a specific place that we meet with God? And every week, we have the opportunity to spend time with God and hear from Him. It's great that we gather on Sundays, but you know God wants to meet with you more than just on Sundays. He wants to meet with you each and every day, and you can make time for that. And Angel brought a great message encouraging us to make time for that. Well, we're going to dive in today, and I want to look at Luke chapter number 12, because oftentimes when it comes to uh, anniversaries and things like that, there's special themes, right? 
Well, I want to show you a video clip in just a second. And there's a verse that's in this video because our church has been around for nine years. And that's incredible. How we started was very humble beginnings, very humble beginnings, um, almost, almost embarrassing beginnings. We borrowed everything that we could because when we started the church, we didn't have a big denomination. We didn't have big help uh, funding and everything like that. I'm, I'm from the old school way. So my dad planted a church and he would just show up in a city and he would just start. And it would sometimes just be our family, and that would be it at church. And so my dad would look down, all right, what do you want to hear preaching on? And it's just our family. So I'd be like, nothing, I want to go play. And my dad would just spank me and then say, no, no, no I'm going to preach to you. you know? And uh, so that's kind of how it went in our home. And so that was the way I was taught to plant churches. So uh, on January 26, 2014, our church held its first Sunday at the Cinemark Movie Theater on our first Sunday. And uh, somebody in the first service had, had attended that service. And afterward, he, he reached out to me during the week and he said, hey, that was a great message. Where can I get the, the recording of it? And I said, recording of it? Man, we barely were able to uh, have uh, uh, a microphone and a sound system. I borrowed that from somebody. I was like, we don't have any money to ha- be able to record anything and stuff like that. It was just humble because we funded the church on Jane and I's American Express card. We maxed it out. It had a $12,000 limit, and we maxed it out to start the church. Uh, we went to Costco and bought Keurig. And, and some of you remember, if you show up at our church, we would have Krispy Kreme donuts every Sunday. Anybody remember the Krispy Kreme donuts? Were you there? Uh, a few of you remember the Krispy Kreme donuts, hot and fresh, all right? And then you would get the coffee, you'd get the donuts, and then you'd go into this nice, comfortable uh, theater with those nice, comfortable theater seats. And I can't tell you how many people would just get the best hour nap of their life. It was great. It was every Sunday. It was awesome. We would have people that would fall asleep and we'd wake them up. Hey, service is over. They're starting a movie. You need to get out of here. And they're like, let me sleep, you know? And uh, that was typically Jane. But, um, you know, it was, it was a great time. Just kidding. It was never her. Uh, and uh, we just had a great time launching and it's fun. So to be here now and to be here where our church owns six acres of property in the Bay Area, I think sometimes we just don't underestimate, we don't understand what a big deal that is. And the fact that we bought it and it, six acres of land, six whole acres, cheaper than being able to buy a house. Like you couldn't buy a house for what we, what we bought six acres for. Just incredible. And then that, that our permit is now sitting at the county waiting for approval, that all the legwork underneath is done. And now we're just waiting for approval. And then once we get the approval, then we break ground. It's just, it's just mind boggling where we're at. And, and just to see God moving, uh, baptism of the first service, you know, it's just exciting what God's doing. And I know sometimes it's hard to see but uh, what God is doing, but I want to take you back to where it all started. And it didn't start nine years ago, even though today's our anniversary. It started before that. And it didn't start with 57 people. This church started with four people. It started with myself, Jane, Megan, and Austin. And uh, that's where our church started. And so I want to show you the first video. Now, this video, before I play it, there needs to be a little trigger warning, or a little warning, okay? This has some cringiness and cuteness all bundled up, okay? So you can decide the cringe and you can decide the cute. But turn your attention toward the screen, if you would, for a moment. The Bible says in John 12, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. It's amazing to think how a tiny seed, it doesn't have much going for it, except for one thing, hope. Hope that when it's planted, 
it will spring, it will grow, even in the deepest, darkest of soil, that it will reach the light of day. A new church plant is very much the same as that seed. It's small, seemingly insignificant, and vulnerable. It doesn't have much going for it, except for hope. Hope that the power of the gospel will break through to the hard hearts and that it will change their lives, will change families, communities, and maybe even whole cities. Hi, my name is Micaiah Ermler, and along with my wife, Jane Ann, and my two children, God has called us to the city of San Jose, California to plant the Southridge Baptist Church. We've lived in San Jose for the past six years, serving at Liberty Baptist Church under the leadership of Pastor Stan Smith. It was about a year ago that God pressed upon our hearts to plant a New Testament independent fundamental Baptist church. You see, the city of San Jose is America's 10th largest city, a city of over 1 million people. You would think a city of our size that there would be scores of good Baptist churches, but the reality is there's only one independent fundamental Baptist church. God has called us to go across town to plant another independent fundamental Baptist church. It is our desire that we would be able to plant this church in January 2014. We're excited about the opportunity. We're excited about the potential. We're excited about what God can do in this city. Right now, it's just a seed. It doesn't have much. It's small. It's insignificant. But there's hope that great things can happen. Will you pray with us? Would you possibly consider partnering with us that we would be able to go to plant an independent fundamental Baptist church in this great city? All right, so there's a whole backstory to that video, okay? Like, uh, can we just give it up for Megan? Isn't she just amazing? She's just the, the cuteness factor. All right, so I was so frustrated by the videographer that day because he was so meticulous, and uh, it was just all day. We would just shoot and just shoot and shoot, and then it was time to grab lunch, and I have no money, right? We're just in my house, just bootstrapping everything everything. I was like, how much is it going to cost? And then I was like, well, let's grab lunch because this is just shooting is just getting too much. And I was like, all right, let's just grab something quick. And then he pulls up Google and he's like, well, I see you have a sweet tomatoes around. I see you have a chilies. I was like, we don't got time for that. And we don't have money for that. No, no, no. It's Subway and let's get back to work shooting. And so by the end of that day, I didn't even know what I was saying. I was just repeating myself. And then he put it all together and cut it. And I was like, man, all right. Well, Megan's cute. We'll just go with it. Just go with it. But it's amazing how things start so humble and with nothing. And then God can use that. And then there's cringy moments. It's like watching videos like that. It's like looking at your, maybe your third or fourth grade uh, elementary picture for the yearbook, or maybe your junior high picture from your yearbook, or your high school picture, or maybe even your wedding pictures. You just look back, you were thinking, my hair, my face, like what happened? It's kind of, it got a little bit of cringiness, but at the same time, you kind of have to love it because it's part of your story. All of it fits. And God uses all of it. God used our church to start. And that was the video that when I would go to different churches and promote, that was my promotional video. And uh, you could tell that it's, it's, it's changed over the years and there's a lot that God's done. But I love the verse out of John 12, 24. And that's where we're going to go this morning. John chapter number 12, verse number 23 is where we're going to begin. And this is just a powerful pastor scripture. I want us to look at one verse. Verse number 23, it says, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man 
to be glorified. Ushers, can you please tell the ladies that they're amazing, we love them, but their voice carries into this room. And so I know they're doing some work, they're cleaning and everything, and uh, so that would help. Thank you. All right. Now, this verse right here is powerful. I love it. I feel like just listening into their conversation. Like, what are they talking about? You just wonder, it's like you just kind of, oh yeah, they're gossiping about who? Okay. As long as they don't mention any of our names, we're safe, right? Right? That's good. That's good. We got to have fun at church, all right? It's either laugh or cry. So I choose to laugh, right? It's, it's one of the two, one of the two. That's a good thing for life. You can either laugh at it or you can cry at it, and I just choose to laugh. But verse number 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, I stopped right there in my reading. I highlighted that verse. I underlined it. You say, why? Because over and over throughout the Gospels, when you read it, Jesus, this is the first time he uses that word. My hour has come. Because all throughout the Gospels, he said the exact opposite. Matter of fact, if you go to John chapter number two, Jesus performs his very first miracle, which is one of the miracles that's probably the most famous, turns water into wine. Everybody knows that miracle. But the backstory to that miracle was that Jesus is at a wedding and the wedding, they run out of wine. And so Jesus' mother comes up to him and says, Jesus, they've ran out of wine why don't you do something about it? And Jesus says something to his mom and he doesn't get slapped for it. But he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour has not yet come. Over and over, Jesus would say, it's not my hour. What he's saying, it's not the right time. It's not the time. It's not the time. But then finally, John chapter number 12, Jesus says, it's the right time. You and I, can be unaware of big moments that show up in our lives. And we miss out on some great things that God wants to do. One of the great lessons you can learn from Jesus is that he knew the time that he was in. He knew what moment he was in. And he took advantage of that moment. In, in 1898, there was a historic moment that really changed our nation as what you would call a global superpower. Everything that you see now that our nation has done, whether you are for it or against it, it kind of traces its roots to an event that happened in 1898. The man is name is a famous president that you and I would recognize, Theodore Roosevelt. But at the time, he's not the president. At that time, he wanted to send an army to Cuba to free the people from the oppression that they were in. But our nation was young. Our total army for the entire United States was less than 26,000 soldiers. That's small. And so what he did at that time was just look for anybody who would go with him to Cuba. He looked for farmers. He looked for ranchers. He looked for anybody. And he took a group over to what we now know as the Battle of San Juan Hill, where he charged up San Juan Hill. And in that moment, he says something great when he reflected back on it. He said, I received orders to go and charge up San Juan Hill. And he said, when I received my orders, at that moment, my crowded hour had come. And I loved that he called it his crowded hour. I love that he knew the moment he was in. And he knew that this was the first moment that this young nation was now gonna show that they can be involved in things on a global stage. And so in that moment, it kind of changed 
All of what the 1900s looked like for the United States. But it started in that moment, that crowded hour, because Theodore Roosevelt knew the moment that he was in. You and I sometimes are innocuous to the moments that we're in. We're innocuous to those moments that could be a tipping point, those great moments in our life. And we just let it pass on by. But Jesus is saying here in verse number 23, my hour is here. But I love the fact that this means so much more than he understood what time he was in. You see, this is a verb, my hour has come, but it's in the perfect tense, all right? I I studied in seminary a couple uh, semesters of Greek, so I'm going to get to use a little bit this uh, morning for us, all right? So basically, since it's in the present tense, what this means is there's no going back. Jesus is saying, I know the moment that I'm in, and there's no going back on this moment. And that's powerful that Jesus understood that what I'm about to do is something big and there's no going back. You and I will look at a moment and then we'll make a decision. I don't want to keep going or I want to head back. I don't want to stay in the relationship or exit the relationship. Do I want to stay at the company or leave the company? Do I want to move forward or do I want to move back? We usually look at it, but Jesus said there is no going back. This is the crossing of the Rubicon. This is the uh, burning of the boats. This is the uh, drawing the the line in the sand. This is that I'm not going back. I'm only moving forward moment for Jesus. And he goes on to tell us, and you and I are going to face the exact same moments, that we're going to face these big moments, and we're going to want to move forward. But in the middle, when we know we should move forward, something's going to happen. And that's what the rest of the passage is all about. It's when you know that you're supposed to go forward, something happens. You know what happens? Our feelings rise up. I am terrified of roller coasters and sharks for whatever reason. But here's the deal. If you put me at a theme park and you're like, we have to get on a roller coaster, I won't say no, I'll still go on, even though I hate it, can't stand it. Jane loves the ocean. She loves adventure. And she's like, we're gonna swim with sharks. Have fun with that. But we got out there and we swam with sharks because even in those moments, I'm like, I got to go forward. I'm not going back. I'm I'm going to move forward. But something happened when I know I needed to go forward. Something inside me happened. It's called being a chicken, being scared, being fearful. There was nothing more that I wanted to do than watch everybody get on the roller coaster and hold their backpacks and purses and sit there and just watch them have a good time. Like, I'm good with that. I will watch everybody's stuff. You have a great time in the roller coaster because I just don't. Some people love that, that G force that they feel. I don't. That's good for you, but I don't. And I started to feel afraid. But here's the thing I've also noticed in life when we know we're supposed to move forward, we also become afraid, don't we? Isn't it sad that our feelings, which can be wonderful, we just went through the holidays and we experienced so many wonderful feelings, or maybe you're celebrating something big, maybe you got a promotion, maybe something good happened, you bought something new, you got something new. There's all these good emotions. But what happens when your feelings aren't good feelings? What happens, and this is crazy that nobody talks about, what happens when your feelings fight back? You ever had your feelings fight back against you? You know you're supposed to do something, but in that moment that you're supposed to do the right thing, everything inside of you says, no, don't do it. Everything inside of you is like, no, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to go and serve. I don't want to go and do the right thing. I want to do the wrong thing. It's amazing that our feelings fight back. 
And what do we do when our feelings fight back? What do you do, and scripture uses this, when your own heart betrays you? You see, as a church plant, we are called to move forward. We are called to lead people to find and follow Jesus. And sometimes you get, get around somebody, you know you're supposed to witness to them, and inside you're like, I don't want to say anything. This person looks scary. This person is probably going to yell at me if I talk about Jesus. This person probably doesn't want anything to do with religion. What am I doing? Or I'm in this environment where if I don't do the right thing or if I don't do this wrong thing, I want to be pressured. I want to fit in. So what do you do when feelings fight back? Well, that's the rest of this verse. Because Jesus knew the moment he was in, but then he gives you and I something. Because nobody here is Jesus. It was raining and you didn't just like walk through and no rain hit you, right? Nobody, nobody walked through. You're like, I had an umbrella. No, that doesn't count. I'm talking about like you can walk on water. Nobody hears Jesus. So guess what? We're going to struggle with our feelings. And so he gives us the rest of the passage. Verse 24 is the verse I used in the video. It says this, very truly I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Our life is that single seed. What are we going to do with it? We can hold on to it and we can cherish it. We can guard it. We can protect it. We can open it up and look at it and stare at it. Or we can do something dangerous with it. Something that our feelings are going to say, no, don't do that. We can give it away for something greater. And for many of us, that's probably the most scariest thing. To take this seed and to sow it. And so Jesus goes on and realizes that you and I are going to face these great moments, these tipping point moments, these moments where your crowded hour has come and you're going to have a decision. Do I go forward or do I stay here where it's comfortable and safe? What am I going to do with this moment? And then he goes on to say in verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it and thundered. Others said, it's an angel that spoke to him. And Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. I want to pray for us and specifically pray for what do we do when our feelings fight back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just continue to work. Thank you for a special Sunday. Thank you for nine years. It's only been by your grace and your mercy that we're still here. Father, I've made my fair share of mistakes and you have been so good to us. Father, you are doing some amazing things right now. I'm just in awe of how you are working. Thank you for this opportunity to serve you in this capacity. Bless the reading of your word and bless the message we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right. When feelings fight back, what do you do? Do you give in? Do you just kind of say, okay, well, my feelings just going to take over, and I'm not in control of my feelings. My wife sent me something really good this week. It was some advice and, uh, from a person who wrote a blog article, so she forwarded it to me, and I loved what he said. He said, we're all going to go through highs and lows. We're all going to have feelings that are ranged from the extreme. He said, feelings are just feelings. They're not right. They're not wrong. They're just feelings, and I said, isn't that powerful? 
Because for you and I, we can look at our feelings and our feelings can become this place of authority in our life. It's almost like we're the backseat driver and the feelings are in charge. They determine what we're gonna do. They determine if we're gonna get out of bed. They determine if we're gonna go to work. They're gonna determine how we treat one another around us. The feelings are gonna determine whether or not we read a Bible. Our feelings are gonna determine whether or not we do a good job. It's all based on feelings and our feelings kind of dictate a lot about us. And whether we do right or wrong, it's gonna be based on the feeling. The only problem is your feelings should not have a place of authority in your life. Your feelings are real, they're just not right. And too often we say, well, if I feel that way, I should act on it. And isn't that kind of sad? That we just seem to think that we just have to act on every emotion, every feeling. A feeling of anger, so we get to outburst. But here's the reality. Some of us, we feel um, trapped by our feelings, feelings of depression, feelings of despair, feelings that there's nothing I can do about it. But I'm here to tell you that your feelings are not forever. The huddle this morning, we had a great huddle and somebody brought up a powerful point. They said, life is a series of mountains and valleys. We get that, right? We know that. But I love the fact that he brought in and he said, a year ago, you were in a different place than you are now. And he said, oftentimes, you're actually in a better place now than you were a year ago. And if you started to look back, you can see where God's brought you. As a staff, as a team, we have to look back and say, God, what did, what did you do over the last year? And we look back and we see, wow, God, you've done a lot. Right now, it may not feel like it, but when I look back, I can see how good you've been. And so it's so important that you and I look back and we see, God, your mercies, they've been there. God, your grace and your goodness has been there. And so our feelings aren't forever. Not only that, too often our feelings will tell us it is what it is, and that's all it is. It is what it is, and that's all it is. Nothing I can do about it. And that's kind of what verse 24 looks like, isn't it? It's like, well, it's just a seed, and I got to put this seed in the ground, and that's the end of that, right? But you and I know from kindergarten when we first got that first soybean, and we got a little styrofoam cup. And I don't know if you got a styrofoam cup. It's bad for the planet. Maybe you got a paper cup. And uh, uh, you put that little bean inside a little cup of dirt, and then you watch it. And you don't see anything. And you just stare at this little cup with some dirt. And you know you put a bean in there, but you're not even sure if the bean's still there. And after a few days, you're like, maybe my bean disappeared. Maybe it's just totally vanished in the middle of the night. Then a couple days go by and something happens in that little cup of dirt. Something sprouts up. It's very tiny. It's very small. And you finally see that your bean has transformed. It's got a green little stem sticking out of it, coming out of the dirt. And something now is beginning to happen. Well, something was actually happening long before you could see it. And your feelings will tell you nothing's happening. Oftentimes, I feel the same way. I feel like, oh, nothing's happened in my marriage. Nothing's happened in my parenting. Nothing's happened in my ministry. And I've got to step back and say, there's a whole lot that's happening. Because when you and I understand verse number 24, that's the secret to life. You say, what do you mean the secret to life? Because our life is that seed. And when you and I sow that seed, something begins to happen that God wants to happen. The only problem is our feelings will tell us that nothing's happening. Matter of fact, our feelings will tell you when you take that seed and you invest it and you plant it, your feelings are going to tell you you're actually a failure. And if there's one thing that Micaiah Irma is very good at, it's I'm very good at failing. There's a lot of things that I've failed. I failed at a lemonade stand one time. 
Like, how do you fail at a lemonade stand? I did. I failed at, I was always a little entrepreneur. I failed at trying to do like raise money on, on just during the day. And I was like, okay, I am, this is super embarrassing, but I was like, okay, I am going to wash cars and bikes, okay? Now this is gonna get super cringe and I can't believe I'm gonna share this with you. But I was homeschooled and I didn't know how to spell. So I didn't spell bikes correctly at all, at all, at all. And my parents came out and said, that's not how you spell bikes at all. I thought a B looked like a D and it was all bad. I'm on the side of the road with my sign. I told you, it gets real, right? One dollar. Oh man, how sad, how sad, how sad. I didn't make any money, thank goodness. Some of you are like, well, did you make? No, no, broke, didn't work. I failed. I failed at so many things. Obviously, I failed at homeschooling. Obviously, there's been so many things in my life where you just go from failure to failure to failure. The problem is failure is what your feelings will tell you. That's just life. You're just a failure. No, 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 no. Failure is an event, not an individual. The problem is, you and I often internalize failure, and we say, failure is an event. Failure is who I am. I fail at relationships. I fail at my career. I fail at these things. But you need to step back and say, no, no, no. Failure is simply an event, and detach yourself from it. And you need to reject the fact that it's not about you. And yet your feelings will tell you this feels like failure, but understand, When you plant a seed, it's not a failure. When you say, no, I have less in my hand than what I used to have. I gave it up and it's gone, so I feel like I failed. No, you're not a failure because it's not finished yet. And this year, you may have to tell yourself, no, 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 I invested that, and so I am not finished yet. What God is about to do is powerful. It's great, and I'm looking forward to what God's going to do in this moment. And you and I are going to say, Lord, this is the moment. This is the seed that I have, and I'm going to invest it into what you have. Because the truth of this verse is what you see isn't what it is. All you can see is just some dirt. All you can see is you just took your life, you just invested into something. You're like, is there ever going to be a return on investment? And it's going to feel like failure. Because there's this time where you're just like, I don't know what God's going to do. And God, I'm just trusting you. And God, I'm just waiting on you. And all the while, your feelings are going to tell you, you are a failure. But I'm here to tell you, you're not a failure because it's not finished yet. But then the verse goes on and it tells us in verse 24, very truly I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies... It produces many seeds. Here's a tough lesson. Death is part of our development. And that's hard. Because we don't want to look at it, death as part of our development. But there are some things that God allows to die in our life so that he can further develop us. What he's saying, the first part, your feelings are going to tell you that this looks like failure, but it's not failure because you're not finished. Secondly, your feelings are going to tell you that this is a funeral. You buried the seed. It's a funeral. Somebody play amazing grace on the bagpipes because this thing is dead. And I'm here to tell you it's not. 
And yet you and I had this mentality that, oh man, I made a pledge for the kingdom builders and so there goes my money, it's dead. There goes my time, it's dead. I raised up that child, they turned 18 and ran from God, it's dead. There went my relationship, it's dead, it's a funeral. Everything that I've tried, my future is just turned into a funeral and that's what it feels like. But just because that's what it looks like, that doesn't mean that's what it is. Have you ever said to somebody, They walk in on you and you're like, this isn't what it looks like. You're like, no, pastor, but it seems to me like you have some issues. No, I worked at a store called Steinmart. And so they would build these like big displays and they would have all these tchotchkes and decorative things. We just, and and I worked, it was this, they call it the home goods department and we would display everything. And we had these like expensive little weird monkey things, see no evil, hear no evil, whatever, say no evil. Just, we had different weird things that the uh, wealthier people of Clovis and Fresno would come to our store and they would buy it, okay? And that's where I worked. And so I would, I would set it up. And so when my manager hired me, he said, okay, here's our department. Our department was about the size of this room, okay? Fairly good sized department. And we had all these displays. And she was like, I need you to rework all these displays. And she handed me the portfolio and said, it needs to look like this. Now, my mind, I'm, I'm weird. I can't just like fix it. I've got to break it, then fix it, okay? So I said, okay, I'm going to go through, I'm going to break everything and then I'll fix everything. And so uh, my manager leaves to go do some work and comes back and I had broken down every display. And so now she's stepping around these expensive glass figurines because I'd broken everything down. And I was just like, it's not what it looks like. Okay. It's not what it looks like. That's what God's saying in this passage, because some of you right now just feel like my life is a mess. And I'm here to tell you, it's not a funeral. It's not done yet. Some of you, you know how to bake. And you know when a cake is ready, and you know when it's not. And you know that even though the outside looks done, until you take that toothpick and put it in the middle, and if it comes out and it's nothing, that's just no dough on it, then it's ready. That's what God is saying. Some of you are trying to rush this process when God is saying, hey, this is not a funeral. It feels like it is, but remember, your feelings are real. They're just not right. What this actually is, not a funeral. It's farming. That's the process that God has us going through. It's farming. Any farmers or gardeners in the house? Yeah, you get it. You get it. You know what it's like to put seed in the ground. You know that the seed, it seems small, but guess what? When you put it in the ground, something significant is going to happen to that seed. What I love about this passage is because when you take a seed, it'll never look like that again. Our church has never been just four people ever since that day. Our church has never been like that. It's never just been in the backyard. Something has happened to that seed. It's totally transformed. It's grown. Now that seed is worth millions of dollars. Now that seed has six acres of land. Now that seed has building permits in the plants. Now that seed has staff members. Now that seed has multiple services. Now that seed has people getting baptized. Now that seed is growing. Now that seed's influence is growing. Now that seed is reaching more and more people. What it was is never will be again. And God is trying to take you from what you were to make you something else. And it's going to feel like a funeral, but it's actually farming. And you and I need to see it differently. We need to say, God, okay, you're doing something. But yet many of us will resist God's process. And we'll say, no, 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 God, there's got to be another way. And God's like, no, this is it. This is the way. This is how it's going to happen. And God is going to take us through that season where it feels like a funeral, where it feels like it's dead. But Jesus does some of the most amazing things 
in a funeral. Some of his greatest miracles happen around a funeral. Even his own. He was dead three days and came back. Some of the greatest moments happen when it seems final. That's when God does some of his greatest movements. His greatest power shows up. And death is just part of our development. You see, to have a new life, it's going to cost you your old life. Many of us, we want a new life, but we don't want to have to give up anything. You see, a seed is going to have a totally new life. If I had an acorn seed right here, and you plant that acorn seed, and we come visit it 50 years from now, you won't be able to dig up in the dirt and find an acorn, would you? You'd probably be able to put your hands around a tree. That acorn has to give up what it was to become something else. And you and I are sitting here, we're thinking, man, I wish I was somebody else. And God's saying, there's a process. You may not like the process. I'll tell you this, your feelings will never like the process. Your feelings aren't going to like the gym. Your feelings aren't going to like the diet. Your feelings are not going to like the life group. Your feelings are not going to like the getting up early and spending time with God. Your feelings are not going to like serving on a ministry team. Your feelings are not going to want to give generously. Your feelings are not going to want to go to the mission field. Your feelings are not going to want to live passionately sold out for God. That's your feelings. It's not going to want to do any of that. But to get the life you want, something has to die. And many of us don't want to give that up. And that is the ultimate struggle, isn't it? Am I willing to give this thing up and it's going to feel like a funeral, but that's the only way for farming to take place? And you and I, we get the analogy for farmers. We're like, sure, it's worth it. And farmers, they gladly sow the seed. Why? Because they get more back than they got. If you plant a mustard seed, you're not just going to get your mustard seed back. You're going to get so much more. If you plant corn, you're not just going to get one stalk of corn back. You're going to get much more. If you plant any type of seed, you're not just going to get what you put in the ground. You're getting so much more. And God is making to you the same promise. It's going to be bigger and better. But the problem is you and I don't want to go through the funeral. We don't want to allow the farming to take place, the cultivation of the soil, the ripping up, the, the tending to the soil. Let God do that work in your life. Because it's the hidden sacrifice. That's the key to transformation. Hidden sacrifice. Many times we want to see this transformation in our life, but we're not willing to sacrifice for it. It's those that sacrifice that see the transformation. It's those that spent 21 days through prayer and fasting and doing a Daniel fast. And now you're thinking, man, they look great. Yeah, they went through 21 days of not eating except what rabbits eat. It's, it's crazy, you know? You're like, I don't like how Adam and Eve had to live. I don't want to do this. I, 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 like, I like chicken and I like fish and I like uh, the way a cow tastes. You know, it's just, it's all good. And here in this passage, many of us, we don't want to go through the process. You know what we want today? We want quick and quality, don't we? The only problem is those two don't go together. You don't get quality and quick. And we think we do. But God's like, no, no, no. I have a timeline. When you plant the seed into the soil, you have to wait a season for the harvest. And you and I, we're ripping up the soil trying to say, I just want my harvest right now. Just want it right now. And God's like, wait a minute. I have my process for you. But then Jesus does something to encourage us because he knows that our feelings are going to fight back. And I love the last verse he shares with us. Worship team, can you come to the platform as we prepare to close? He says this in verse number 28. He says, Father, glorify your name. Then it says a voice came from heaven. 
Now, it could be something where we just thought, oh, it's just, it's just Jesus can hear this voice, but no, it's not. It says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And then verse 29, the crowd that was there heard it, and they said it was just thunder. And some others said an angel had spoken to him. And then Jesus says this in verse number 30, and I hope this encourages you. He said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Because when your feelings are speaking to you, you need a louder voice to drown out that voice. You need a voice of authority, not a voice of feelings. And Jesus says, this is for your benefit. You know, when you and I say, God, I'm gonna sow this in and I wanna draw close to you, something happens. You can hear God's voice clearer. And that's the greatest reward to hear the voice of God. So you know what to do. You know where he wants you to go. As you're saying, God, I, I, I went through the process and my feelings fought me the entire way, but I'm here and, I, and it felt like a funeral, but God, I know it's farming. And in that moment, you start to hear God's voice. Those that were fasting and praying, maybe there were moments where it just seemed like you could clearly sense what God wanted for you. Or there's times when you're in church, you're like, man, when I go to church, I just sense the Holy Spirit guiding me. Or when I open up my word and I start to read and I start to pray, I just get a sense of the direction that God wants my life to take. It's because the moment you and I say, God, I'm going to give you this seed, something begins to happen. And God says, that's what I was after. And his voice gets clear and it's for our benefit. So when your feelings fight back, that's a moment where you say, God, I need your voice to be louder than my feelings. I need your voice to speak over the storm. I need your voice to be clear to me. And in that moment, we will hear God's voice above all others. You know, when it comes to God's voice, if you and I would hear it and recognize it, our life would be transformed. Every parent kind of gets this. You could be at a playground and there could be 25, 30 kids. But you can clearly discern your child's cry from every other child. And you know their scream for help. And you could be talking to a parent, but in the moment you hear your child cry, it's like you're there. God wants that same clarity with us. We could just hear his voice. We're in the middle of everything going on and you just say, oh, I heard that, God. Yes, I'll do it. Where you're, you're at a gas station, you see somebody who's struggling, God says, help that person. Where you are going about your day and God says, hey, I need you to send a text to this person. And you send them a text and you had no idea what they were going through. Where you show up and you say, hey, God just told me to tell you something and it's just a word for you. God wants to give you the exact word that you need and that others need. But it comes when we draw close to him. When we say, all right, Lord, my feelings have been fighting me the whole way. And they're telling me that this is failure. They're telling me it's a funeral. But I'm going to trust you. Because it's not what we've been taught. It's what we trust. And we need to trust him. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Do you trust God? Do you trust him to say, God, okay, here's the seed of my life. I don't know what you want to do with it. I don't know how you want to use it. But I'm going to take this seed, the most valuable, precious thing that I have, and I'm going to give it to you. Whatever you want to do, God, it's yours. And that's the decision maybe you got to make this morning. We say, okay, God, it's our church's ninth anniversary. When our church hits 10 years old, I want my life to be radically different. 
And God, you know what I can do with this life, but I want to see what you can do, God. So even though my feelings are going to tell me that this is failure, that this is a funeral, I'm going to sow this seed of my life into the soil of good ground. And I want to see what you can do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, can I pray for you? Is that you? You'd say, Pastor, just pray for me that I would know what to do with this seed. Can I pray for you? I see that hand. Anybody else see that hand? I see that hand. God bless you all. God bless you. I want to pray for those. Maybe you're here and you say, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. I'm lost in my sins. I can't save myself. I need a Savior. Is that you? Can we pray for you? Anybody like that here? If you'd like to pray with any of us afterward, I see that hand. God bless you. If you want to pray right after the service, we'd love to pray with you. We don't want you to attend this church without knowing Jesus Christ is your Savior. We want to make sure you have that settled where you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Let me pray for those that raise their hand. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to just gather around it to see what you want to show us. But Father, help us to see that this life is just a seed. We can either hold it or we can sow it. But too often we just hold on to it. And at the end of our life, all that we're going to have is that same seed we started with. The only potential for more is if it's planted. And so God, our feelings are going to lie to us and tell us this is a funeral. But help us on the authority of your word to realize, no, this is the process of farming. And I'm going to trust you through the process. As I plant my life, and you take that potential, and you grow it into something so much more. So, Father, those that have raised their hand, that have said, yes, we want to we seek God more. We want to invest in what he has for us. God, would you bless them and give them the clarity? Would your voice be clear and strong in their life? When their feelings come against them, would you be able to uh, help them to cut through all that noise and clutter and be able to discern your voice and your will? I pray for those that have raised their hand saying, yes, they want to follow you with their heart. They want to receive you as their Lord and Savior. They want forgiveness of their sins, that they would find that 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 salvation, God. Father, I pray that you would bless this service. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to open up a time where we open up the altar. Maybe you want to pray in your seat or maybe you want to come forward. I'll be here at the side if you'd like to pray. But worship team, would you lead us in one final song of worship before we're dismissed? And if you want somebody to pray with, you can just meet me right down here and I'll pray with you. Thank you again for spending time with us today, and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.